I'm Aaron Martell. And I'm Lou Figaro. And welcome to Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews, a podcast where we talk about and review a rock album of our choice. Joining us this episode is a returning guest co-pilot from the fat bearded vinyl guy YouTube channel. Matt Carwick is here. Matt, welcome back to the R4 podcast. Hello, hello. All right. So on this episode, we're going to review Kiss's 1980 album, Unmasked. Matt, where do you come in with Kiss in this particular album? Well, I touched a bit on this when we did the bonus episode on Black Sabbath, but not everybody listens to that. But I spent kindergarten through high school going to Lutheran school. My grade school years were in the 80s when they were when the satanic panic was going on. And every band was accused of being Satanists. Now, naturally, Kiss was public enemy number one makeup and stage antics that they were doing. And I remember being subjugated to a documentary that had about as much credibility as a Michael Moore film, where about all of our favorite rock bands were from Satan. I mean, naturally it backfired because they just told us who the good bands were. Yeah. And I've been trying to find this thing for about 20 years now. I have not been able to find it. It's made me so sad. So I remember in high school, I went to the record store and getting the first Kiss album on cassette. I got it secondhand. And I also remember getting Destroya. That was the very first CD that I got, and I still have it. And I even got that CD before I even had a CD player. I was 15, so you can't be old and dumb without first being young and dumb. Uh, this one unmasked is one of the later albums that I got into or delved into. At least I remember seeing the CD in the rack and then looking at the cover, that cartoon, that, that kind of comic book cover, and then just putting it back down. Eighties kiss. I don't know as well. Um, even though one of the first kiss cassettes I got was smashes, thrashes and hits. So there was some of the eighties hits on that one. So I knew the big hitters and that's about it. All right. Lou? I got into Kiss around 76, 77, a bit before Love Gun came out. The kids in the apartment next door had a live, and I'd go over there and we'd have a ball. We'd jump around in their living room like it was a stage, blast a record like we were having a concert. So I'd, I must have been around nine. Then the summer of 77, um, as I mentioned on my first episode, guest hosting on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews podcast, <laughs> that I get the Love Gun record. After that, it was my mission. I had to get them all. Um, by 79, Dynasty came out, and they changed their sound big time. And while I love that record, it was a sign of the, it was a sign of things to come in the band. And instead of loud, hard, heavy rock, they were showing signs of sellout. They cut back on the distortion, the danger, the heaviness that made them. Uh, that made me a fan of them. So when the kid down the block got the unmasked record, I heard some of it. It was clear to me that I had better things to spend my money on and I never bought it. The completionist in me wound up getting 
the album at a flea market around 10 years ago for a dollar. And I listened to the whole record again once, and then I put it away until this review. All right. Well, we've covered Kiss many times on the podcast, so the short of it is I discovered Kiss as a six-year-old in 1976 with the Destroyer album, and I just became obsessed with them, and they probably remain my favorite band to this day. But by 1980, when Unmasked came out, I was completely unaware of it. At the time, it felt like the musical climate had shifted, even in my elementary school, and Kiss was rapidly losing popularity, at least in the United States, and I was losing interest in them, too. I was listening to the radio more, top 40 stuff, and I was just about to enter my pop purgatory phase, which I've mentioned on the podcast before. So, kind of like you, Lou, a friend of mine brought this record over, and I was like, oh, shit, they got a new album out? Okay. Right away, I didn't care for the album cover. I I just thought they were taking the comic book silliness too far. You know, they were wearing all the flashy colored costumes, and like you said, Lou, the the sound had changed, the image had changed, and it just wasn't hitting like it used to. But we put Unmasked on the turntable, and we listened to it, and I'll leave it at that for now. Now I'll give you some basic facts about this record, ripped straight from the Wikipedia page so you know it's reliable. Unmasked is the eighth studio album by American rock band KISS, released on May 20th, 1980 on Casablanca Records. It was produced by Vinnie Poncia and was recorded from January to March at the record plant New York City, New York. It reached number 35 on the U.S. Billboard 200 chart and is certified gold by the RIAA. And here's the band's lineup card. We've got Paul Stanley on vocals, rhythm guitar, lead guitar, and bass. Gene Simmons on vocals, bass, and rhythm guitar. Ace Fraley on vocals, lead guitar, rhythm guitar, and bass. And Peter Chris credited on drums. There are definitely additional musicians we'll mention as we see fit. All right, let's begin a track-by-track analysis of this album. We start off with Is That You, written by Gerard McMahon. What do you think? From the first chord, you could tell it's a, that this is neutered. It sounds like it was written for Kiss, but not written by Kiss, if that makes sense. I sense artificial badassness in this song. You always get the boys you like, play nice and stick them with your knife. Who are you, Alice Cooper? This would have been a decent song had the producer not sucked every molecule of heaviness out of it. They sound declawed, defanged. Matt. Right from the get-go, we hear, I hear at least, that the 70s are over and not just on the calendar. This song screams new wave to me. Strutter, Detroit Rock City, those are in the past. And I really hadn't done a really deep dive into the lyrics before a few days ago. But the first line of the song, cats drooling on the bar stool. Now, Now, I have cats myself. And I thought, wait, cats don't really. Oh, I see what he did there. I like that. 
Now, I don't know about anyone else in the universe, but I know listening to this podcast that I've learned that I'm not alone in my insanity, but I tend to visualize things when I hear certain songs and certain passages and songs. You know, for example, there are some Rolling Stones songs. I can see Keith doing his strumming style. On the chorus of this one, I can see Paul Stanley kind of shimmying across the stage, kind of doing like a little dance that he does. <laughs> Personally, I see this song, it's, a, it's making a statement on this record that this is going to be 80s Kiss. For good or bad, mostly bad, but this is, this is them saying this is the 80s for us. They open the record with an obscure cover tune. And that doesn't bode well as we go forward. And yeah, this is supposed to be a rocker, but like you said, Lou, Vinnie Poncia's production is bright and poppy, and this doesn't smack you in the face or kick your ass like it's supposed to. There's a decided lack of energy to the music that sounds often disconcerting. So the song was written by Gerard McMahon, a guy mostly known for writing music for TV shows and movies, and Kiss doesn't stray too far from the original, Paul Stanley even replicates McMahon's vocal mannerisms when he sings, you know, that's the kind of stuff McMahon did on the original. And now we'll address the elephant in the room. Peter Chris doesn't appear on this album at all. No drums, no vocals, though he's credited for it and appears on the album cover. This is where Peter kisses off and the drums are all played by Anton Figg, who did most of the drums on the last record Dynasty. So why the fuck not? Paul plays the simple solo, which consists of a couple of bluesy licks, and though he sings with some effort, it, it does sound like he's trying. The backing vocals are very flat and dull. Is that you crawling up my stairs? That deflate the chorus, and lyrically, Paul bashes his underage girlfriend, practically calling her a whore, cheating on him with her teacher after school. He tells her to act her age. What age, star child? You mean 17? Scuzzy old school rock star vibes. There's a piano clanging away under there, played by producer Vinnie Poncia, and man, what an unimpressive opening statement. You're a hoo <laughs> The next track is Shandy, written by Paul Stanley and Vinnie Poncia. think of this matt the first time i heard this song it was on the alive four symphony album with the melbourne symphony orchestra and i thought that was a i liked that rendition of it um also on the tribute album kiss my ass there was a one-off super group featuring tom morello among others that was called shandy's addiction <laughs> and at the time it meant absolutely nothing to me but then i learned oh there's a song called shandy I guess that makes sense. Um, I guess back in the day, this song was big in Australia. And when they were on tour in Australia, Paul would play it solo when on tour down there. But I didn't know that. But then again, I'm not Australian. I don't hate this song, but I guess it's more along the lines of Hard Luck Woman, where you kind of go, is this really Kiss? 
It's not like I'm comparing this record to rock and roll over, not by a long shot. Um, I just see it. It's a circa 1980 pop song. Lou. I almost don't have words for the torpedo. This song is to kiss his credibility in my eyes and ears. Now I could take hard luck woman. I didn't mind. I was made for loving you. I could even let Beth slide. It was a freak B side that took off and the drummer got a bit of cash. But this is Paul Stanley's desperate attempt at being a full-on card-carrying teen beat poster heartthrob. He tried it on his solo record with that abomination, hold me, touch me, think of me when we're apart. And now it seems to have infected his input and kiss as well. What the fuck, Stan? I can smell your chest hair and Paco Rabanne cologne on this pile of garbage. Estrogen. It's a hell of a drug. <laughs> this song's the sonic equivalent of a soft serve ice cream dispensing out of a star child shaped butthole into a cone like a little pile of glittery rainbow poo. It fades out, giving it the trifecta suck. Fuck you. Fuck this song. You fucking sell out. There are heavier Partridge Family songs than this, you fucking poser. Come on, Stan. Can you imagine Gene doing doing this in full fucking demon mode, too, with the lava shoulder pads and the cock piece and the fucking dragon boots and everything, doing that head-wagging, tongue-jutting, leg-up, leg-down thing he does like a fucking emu? It's like a combo of Kabuki, Phyllis Diller, and that lady landlord from Kingpin that Woody Harrelson had to go down on to pay his rent. Ah, ah, ah. Get the fuck out of here with this shit. I wonder why Ace was drinking himself to death and wanted out, too. This is Lou's obligatory skipper on every record. Loser. Oh, man, this is bad. <laughs> a pop ditty inspired by the Hollies cover of Bruce Springsteen's 4th of July Asbury Park Sandy. This has sugary, sweet production and is obviously designed to be a pop hit. This has Paul on rhythm and lead guitar, Fig on drums, Rody Tom Harper on bass instead of Gene Simmons, Holly Knight, the songwriter, on keyboards, Ace Fraley on acoustic guitar and backing vocals by Fraley and Poncia. Paul sings like the sensitive slobby is, and the backing ooh vocals and the twangy plunking guitars almost have a throwback 50s or 60s vibe. This is supposed to give you like nostalgic feels, and it makes me want to throw up. Shanny's got Paul all tied up in knots. He knows she's bad for him, but he can't stay away from that magic pussy. He can't bring himself to end it. Maybe she's a 17-year-old from the first track. I remember cringing when I first heard this in 1980, and now it just makes me hang my head in exasperated repulsion. And guess what? This was the album's first single, and the band did a promotional video for it that was the last time Peter Chris would appear with Kiss until 1995. It only reached number 47 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 chart, but internationally it did much better, particularly in New Zealand and Australia, like Matt alluded to, where it reached number 6 and number 5, respectively. And like Matt said, Kiss always played this when they toured Down Under, or at least while Paul could still sing it. (laughs) The following track is Talk To Me, written by Ace Fraley. Talk to me, talk to me, all I want. 
Lou, is this any better? <laughs> well, here's Ace representing. Now, look, I'm not here because I want to hear close to the edge or brain salad surgery. I know it's Kiss. And this song is close to what I'm expecting. Ace sounds like he's having a good time singing. And although he's trying his best to counter the absolutely toothless candy ass pop production, it sounds more like something that would be on a Saturday morning cartoon than Madison Square Garden. Vinny Poncia. It's more like Vinny, I'd like to punch you. <laughs> Matt. Hello, Ace. Uh, Ace is my favorite member of the original Kiss, so I'm partial to Ace's stuff. It sounds to me like he's trying to hang on to that Kiss rock sound where Gene and Paul are wanting to go in the power pop direction and Ace just wants to rock out. I can see Gene looking at the lyrics and saying to Ace, look, girls aren't supposed to talk when you're with them. They can't talk with your dick in their mouth. <laughs> this uh, this song they also have on the uh, Off the Soundboard live album, the Tokyo 2001. They play this one on that one. I like it. It's a... Of course, it's Ace, so I like it. Ace Fraley's first contribution to the album is practically a solo track. He plays all the guitars, bass, and lead vocals with Paul and Vinnie Ponce on backing vocals. And Ponce does add some keyboards. Now, these riffs don't do much for me, but Ace's solo is on point, And Fig is a standout. He gets to play some mighty fine fills, as he often does on Fraley's songs. I've said it before, but I've always liked Ace's vocals. He's not a strong singer, but he has a goofy charm to him. And these lyrics are very Ace. He's into you, girl. He knows you've got a bad reputation, but he don't care. He just wants a little conversation and maybe some kind of relations. This track isn't a barn burner or anything, but it's okay. And this was the second single that wasn't released in the U.S., but reached number 10 in Switzerland. The next track is Naked City, written by Gene Simmons, Vinnie Poncia, Bob Kulik, and Pepe Castro. Matt, what do you think? I've been trying to be positive so far. I know it's hard with Lou, you know, doing his thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's that's going to change here. I tell you, a sound I never want to hear again is Gene Simmons singing falsetto. No, <laughs> no, 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 just no. <laughs> that said, I kind of get the I get the feel of a city street. In this song, middle of the night, the roads are wet, steaming is coming out of the grates and the sidewalk. That's the vibe that I get. But I'm going to say this a lot, but this is no Kiss song. I'm sorry. Give it to a new wave band. Get it the hell out of here. Besides, when I hear Naked City, it sounds like a pickup line that a 10-year-old came up with. Like, hey, baby, want to go to the Naked City? <laughs> Lou? I think it starts out exactly like X-Ray Eyes. It actually could be a sister to that song. It's got almost the same structure, many of the same notes. It's uh, Gene's first contribution. And while, again, not the prize winner of 
any literary awards. It's more of what I'm expecting from him. It, it almost sounds like a dynasty leftover. I've got no problem with this song other than it's a copy of X-Ray Eyes and not as cool. The solo, it's definitely not Ace on this. It, it sounds like Bob Kulik style. Um, oh, yeah, he co-wrote it. It's him. Yeah. Gene Simmons gets his first track on the record, and it does have his usual darker vibe. I picked up on the X-Ray Eyes vibe, too. His bass is up front, and it drives his tune, while the guitars and the verses are clipped chords and are drawn-out chords in the choruses. Longtime Kiss ally Bob Kulik has a writing credit on this, like Lou said, and it sure, it sure does sound like him playing that guitar solo. It's well done, but it sounds a little too clean and precise. It doesn't have Ace's stumbling spaceman vibe. That's definitely Bob Kulik. It's got to be. The Demon turns in a decent vocal in his upper register, including some falsetto that Matt hates. But for me, it kind of works, and the lyrics are pretty poignant, describing New York City with its 10 million stories, both as skyscraper floors and the number of the Big Apple's denizens. He describes the loneliness of the city people, regardless of social status, with their lonely stares, and infers that he might be a gigolo servicing older women as he's not looking for love. Many KISS fans point to this as an overlooked gem in the KISS catalog, and I'm not, I'm no way am I going to go that far. I don't think it's a classic, but for me, it's definitely one of the better numbers on this record. The following track is What Makes the World Go Round, written by Paul Stanley and Vinnie Poncia. thoughts this is more bay city rollers than it is kiss <laughs> it sounds like leif garrett or sean cassidy than you know paul stanley it, he's really catering to that tiger beat fan base unfortunately it's pissing all us real rock fans off that got into your band under false pretenses i feel cheated again there's that vision of gene in my mind in the background pumping his fists and wagging his tongue doing that pelvic thrust while he's humping and licking his base <laughs> Matt hey it's another Paul Stanley song where this girl is the only girl for him at least until the next one at least Paul is showing us how falsetto is supposed to be done it's uh, another one of those not kiss songs should have given this song to one of the other teeny bopper artists that Lou was talking about or at least a female solo, solo artist so at least the line, I feel you deep inside of me, beating up against my heart, at least that would make sense. Did, did I hear a synth in there? Who the hell is the keyboard player in Kiss? Vinny punch you. <laughs> and here comes poppin' Paul Stanley once again, serving up more pop rock garbage that makes me facepalm and shake my head in disgust. The verses have guitars that want to snarl, but they're pushed back and panned to the sides, so they have very little impact. They don't rock hard, and the choruses have a disco beat and rhythm that begs to recall I was made for loving you, but again, falls flat. Poncia's keyboards, it's, it, it is Vinnie Poncia, Matt. 
dominate the breakdown section and sound like bad imitation new wave. And the guitar solo is split between Paul and Ace and has potential. On a ballsier song, it would work well, but instead is wasted on this fluff. Paul's telling us what makes the world go round, and you know what it is, don't you? It's love. Of course it's love. He was a dreaming fool until he met her and had his head turned around and felt that love was smart? Huh? I don't know. I can't take the fluffy, cheesy chorus either, so nope, let's move on. So let's flip the imaginary record over and drop the imaginary needle on Tomorrow, written by Paul Stanley and Vinnie Poncia. What do you think of this? I think I would like this song better if someone else did it. It's not a bad song. It's just not what I would expect from this band. Lyrically, I think of this as the other side of Shandy, where Shandy was, let's do it one last time before you leave. And tomorrow was more, let's do it now and figure everything out in the morning. I wish I was a rock star. Holy crap. <laughs> and uh, yeah, lose that freaking synth. Lou. This has the Billy Joel vibe in the, the verses and going into the chorus, it, mor- it morphs into a star child solo album feel. Let's not kid ourselves. Vinny Puncha gets his sugar coated soda pop jizz into it too. At this point in the record, I'm just thankful it's not another ballad. So I'll take it. Well, for me, this is Paul's best effort on the album by far. And it still would be his shittiest track on Dynasty by far. It's a Paul solo track. He plays all the guitars and a nice moving bass line with additional keyboards and hand claps by Poncia and, of course, Fig's drums, which are fairly propulsive, at least as far as this album goes. Paul must have been feeling his oats as a lead guitarist. He actually cops a couple of Ace Fraley licks and does a passable job. Good for him. The vocal melodies hit the mark. Finally, the chorus is catchy and is set up nicely by the verses. And the lyrics are about a girl Paul sees and it's love at first sight. But he's nervous to approach her and tell her about it today. But tomorrow, they're going to fall in love. You bet on it. This is another track that Unmasked Defenders point to as a standout. I'm kind of on the fence about it. Maybe if this had more rock in the pop rock and wasn't produced so shitty, I could be swayed. This was the third and final single that did buckus on the charts. The next track is Two Sides of the Coin, written by Ace Fraley. Let's have it. A lot of the songs that I like on this record, they more often sound like leftovers from Dynasty. 
Ace sounds like he had the same idea as Hard Times again, and no one reminded him of it. He's got the songwriting skills of Bill and Ted, but the problem is is that they're still better than anything the Starman is spawning on this. Um, <laughs> next. Matt. Well, Ace is back, and he has a dilemma. He can't choose from Girl 1 and Girl 2. While Ace is trying to decide... Gene swooped in and took both of them to his room. Yeah, really. <laughs> wow, does this song suck. <laughs> it's another Ace track. And again, Ace plays everything except drums and keyboards. And it's a weird Ace track indeed, where the only good thing about it is Anton Figg's drums once again. He's killing it, but you wouldn't know it because the production takes all the balls out of his playing, which is too bad because his fills in the breakdown section especially are choice. But Ace's contributions are annoyingly weak. The guitar riffs and bass lines are pedestrian at best. There's no real guitar solo to speak of. And these lyrics are laughably cringeworthy. Ace is sick of all the groupies he bangs. Road Pussy just isn't cutting it anymore. All these ladies and girls want is a whirl with a rock star. And then he's got to pick a permanent mate from one of these? The spaceman's weary of that shit. Ace's vocal deficiencies are emphasized here, too. He basically sleepwalks through the verses and yells out the choruses. I breathe a sigh of relief when it's over, and then I realize there's four more tracks to go. Fuck me. The following track is She's So European, written by Gene Simmons and Vinnie Poncia. Matt, start us off. What the hell is he talking about? She's so European. (laughs) He he says she's so European and then does absolutely nothing to describe it. I I don't get it. (laughs) The song reminds me of a guy I knew around 2000. His favorite movie was Swingers with Jon Favreau and Vince Vaughn. And the Vince Vaughn character was basically the basis of his personality. He was always saying everything was money. (laughs) This money, it's money, I'm money. Then he started dating this girl from the Netherlands and he started saying shit like for king and country. And I started calling him Euro. So he would kind of take it as a compliment. He's like, oh, yeah, he's European and all that stuff. But it was more like money as in, yeah, it might be useful in Europe, but it ain't worth shit here. That's pretty much all I got for this one. Other than get that synth out of there. (laughs) Lou. Maybe he liked water sports. Um, I dig this song. Remember we were talking about guilty pleasures? This is one of them. Um, I like the annoying twangy riff. Uh, I'm getting used to the absolute absence of any sort of ball sack on this record. Gorilla in the room aside, it's not a bad song, and it fits in on this Kiss album. Uh, It sounds like Gene had some leftover solo record ideas came out in this song. I can imagine Eddie Kramer coming in and slapping the shit out of Vinnie Poncia and then hurling him <laughs> off the desk and mixing this the right way. 
And I bet this, you know, it would fit in on rock and roll over. Actually, a few songs like this are on here on this record. Maybe step on a distortion pedal or something. Wow, we are scraping the bottom of the barrel, huh, Gene? Limp guitars, out-of-place pop poncia keyboards that try to sweeten the track while simultaneously attempting to disguise how weak the songwriting is. Fig keeps himself awake with some creative drum parts, but they're wasted on this half-assed dud of a song. Gene's looking for a foreign piece of ass. American trim just doesn't cut it these days, you know? He wants a champagne-swilling chick with an accent who fucks on a brass bed, because, you know, that's how classy European nymphets do it. But our savvy demon is no ordinary coxman. He sees right through her bullshit. They're all the same on the inside, right, Gene? And you'd know you had 5,000 or so photos to prove it. You can hear the audible boredom in his voice as he sings this. Even Gene can't wait to get this shit over with. The next track is Easy As It Seems, written by Paul Stanley and Vinnie Poncia. say k dance machine with van <laughs> do the hustle do, 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 do. frankie valley kiss <laughs> jesus christ studio 54 stand funky groove gene's bass sounds like he's in full pelvic thrust mode that image really getting ridiculous i keep seeing him in my head with the tony monero john travolta hairdo though can you imagine gene simmons with travolta hair big ass feathered wings on the side of his you know but <laughs> but with that little, little silly ponytail on the top though of his head <laughs> shaking it around this would have fit in on Dan- dynasty too funky kiss i'll take it i dig the solo it almost sounds like ace played on it i doubt it though up until the end where he starts falsetto castration screaming and then it fades out. Matt. Oh, wow. I have a a visual right now of (laughs) Gene Simmons in the full demon garb walking down the street, like John Travolta and Saturday night fever. (laughs) Oh yeah. With the Kate holding the the paint can. (laughs) You see the dinosaur boots going down the street at first. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, that, that's that's all I'm thinking right now. <laughs> well, I can tell by the way that I use my walk. I'm one thing. You're kind of oh, yeah. <laughs> you should be dancing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Finding something positive to say about this song is not as easy as it seems. It's more new wave style power pop from a band that kind of looks like Kiss. Getting really tired of saying ditch this synth. I'm t- oh man, I can't I can't take it anymore, man. <laughs> I guess Paul didn't get the memo that the 70s are over and disco's dead. This sounds like I was made for loving you's dumbass little brother that mama ignores and never talks about at dinner parties, you know, that kid. 
Paul plays all the guitars and bass again, so it's basically yet another solo track, and it's built around a groovy little disco bass line that's way up front in the mix, but it's surrounded by ho-hum guitars and Pontius Kindergarten Casio keyboards. But hey, we've got some Latin percussion added to the rhythm to distract you from the fact that this song sounds totally disjointed and doesn't come together at all. Ideas that aren't fleshed out. This sounds like it was whipped up in 10 minutes and probably was. Paul's sick of his cheating woman running around on him. He's just going to walk away from the relationship. It's easy for him. No big deal. We're grasping at straws by this point. This is terrible. It's Aaron's Stinky Stinker. The penultimate track is Torpedo Girl, written by Ace Fraley and Vinnie Poncia. Matt, how about this Spaceman track? Oh, this, honestly, the highlight of the album for me is that funky bass lick, that boom, and the interplay with the guitar, that is awesome. There's not many highlights on this album for me, but that's it. The start of the song with that submarine, I almost sometimes expect to hear, frankly, semen stains, I don't give a damn, from uh, the Bruce Dickinson song, Dive, Dive, Dive. <laughs> I like this one. This is a rare good track for me. Lou? I agree. I like the song, too. It's Ace is yet again the star of this album. And although I've been saying this all night, this song belongs more on a solo record than on a Kiss record. Torpedo Girl. Yeah, it's a big, it's a big dumb sex joke, but who cares? It's Ace. It's the same band as his solo record too. Ace doing everything and Anton Fig on drums. So, the double bass at the ending proves it's definitely not Peter Chris. Cool jam at the end, and Vinnie Puncher ruins it by fading the fuck out again. Well, I think both of you are out of your fucking minds. <laughs> I think this track deserves special consideration for the lyrical, poetic genius that is Ace Fraley. To wit, I thought I'd go out and take a swim today. It was real hot, and I just had to get away. They spotted an unknown sub down in the bay, but I don't care. I think I'll go swimming anyway. But I knew when I was in the suds and swimming around, but then all of a sudden I heard this rumbling sound. I saw this thing that looked like a submarine with a pretty girl on the bridge. Could this be a dream? I don't know. I don't know either, Ace. It was between this track and the last track for my Stinky Stinker. And this is so remarkably bad, it's mind-boggling. But it cracks me up, so I spared at the ass designation. Ace plays a clunky approximation of a funk bass line that's hilariously awkward, and no amount of faux surf rock guitars or ooh-ah-ahs is going to save this from the depths of idiocy. That this was even considered for inclusion is absurd. That it actually (laughs) made the fucking record as comic relief gold, which is what this song does for me. Come on, get your feet wet! Ah! And that brings us to the final track, You're All That I Want. Written by Gene Simmons and Vinnie Poncia. I want you to believe it's true. 
about this last one, Lou? Mean Gene closes out this record. Gene's right into his target audience. Anything with a pulse and a vulva. <laughs> He's lying through his thirsty ass teeth. You're the only girl I'm dreaming of. You're the only woman I've ever loved. I want you to believe it's true. And there's nothing he'd rather do. Get the fuck out of here with that shit, Gene. Put your fucking dick away already. Checks in the mail, right? It's fucking creepy now. Ten-year-olds are listening to this shit now. You're a walking spawning ground for genital herpes, and it shows. <laughs> that said, I welcome this track as it is what I expect on a Kiss record. Gene being Gene. Good harmonies in the chorus and a decent solo. I could do without the Vinnie Punchia piss-soaked middle eight, but the solo brings it out of it nicely and until they fade the song out. But what was I expecting? Is this done yet? <laughs> Almost. Matt. Songs like this is why I am so cynical about the power ballads and love songs from the 80s, because they all have these types of lyrics. And yes, this is my lame lyric alert. <laughs> You're the only girl I've been dreaming of. You're the only woman I ever loved. Did a 15-year-old write this? This sounds like the shit I wrote when I was 15. I didn't know what the hell I was writing about. And verse 2 doesn't get any better. And you need to feel my love inside. There's a Gene lyric for you. <laughs> and I need to show what I can't hide. Um, By definition, you show what you can't hide. It's something that you just can't fight. Well, that sounds a little rapey. It feels so good, it must be right. Like, I haven't heard that lyric a million times. Honestly, if we were taking bets, I would have put all my money on this being Aaron Stinky Stinker. But that's why I'm not a gambling man. But it's three minutes that I personally do not need. <laughs> and we limp to the finish with this uh, rocker <laughs> that has Gene playing bass and rhythm guitar, Poncia's magic pop keyboards, and lyrics that are straight from the Simmons School of Clichéd Songwriting. Matt summed them up perfectly, so I don't need to repeat them. There are a few new wrinkles, like a short guitar mini passage, and Gene actually admitting he loves someone other than himself, as opposed to only wanting to bone her. And this is another track a lot of fans seem to like, but for me it's just meh. It's one of the better ones, I suppose. Oh wait, there's Cowbell. Anton Fig plays Cowbell. Nice. <laughs> now that the track by track is done, we'll get into our final thoughts and album ratings. For you new listeners, the rating is a zero to five system, with five being a favorite of ours, all the way down to a zero, which is pop rock poo poo. Matt, what are your final thoughts on Unmasked? I understand what Kiss was trying to do here. It was post-disco, new wave was coming up, bands like Blondie, The Cars, Funky Town was a big song in 1980. I think there may, there may not have been pressure from the label to do something, but the fact that Casablanca was such a huge player in disco and dance music may have caused Gene and Paul to rethink that rock sensibility. There's an interesting book that's out there. It's called And Party Every Day. It was written by Larry Harris. He was Neil Bogart's right-hand man at Casablanca, as well as at the, at the end of his days at Buddha. And he was saying they had, that they had all the major disco acts of the day. 
people would go into record stores and not go, what's the latest from this artist? But they would say, what's the latest from Casablanca? I mean, Angel was the only other rock act on Casablanca. And they may have felt that they needed to fit into that pop dance song. There's an auditory line in the sand between Gene and Paul with Ace. Peter, he's an odd entity on this record. He was in the video for Shandy, and that's it. Ace's stuff was rock-oriented, and that's what Kiss was, but it was clearly different from what Gene and Paul wanted to do. Most of the songs aren't bad, but like I've been saying, they'd be better served with another artist. I'll give this album a three, if only because I refuse to go lower on a Kiss record. The songs aren't bad, they just aren't Kiss songs. Lou? When this came out, I was done with Kiss. And this was proof that we had grown apart and couldn't remain friends. Paul's mission to take this band with Beatles-like harmonies and catchy tunes with hard rock guitars and a raunchy attitude and turn it into a cotton candy-ass Tiger Beat sugar pop bullshit to sell records to hormonal little 11-year-old girls. And it effectively cut the balls off of what was once a great idea and show. It turned into Sid and Marty Croft kiss, witchy poo, puffin stuff, and the demon spaceman and star child. <laughs> star child! It sounded to me like three separate guys that wrote their own stuff and came into the studio and worked with Anton Fig to get it recorded. It, it doesn't sound like Ace, Gene, and Paul were in the same room together at all. And by the third song, it's obvious that Peter was nowhere to be found on this record at all, as the drums were noticeably superior to anything he's ever contributed. I give it a two. Last week with Page and Plant, and now this week for a completely different reason. I feel like I'm being strapped to a chair with my eyes held open, and I have to watch my favorite teacher getting buried alive by a giant unicorn just shitting a rainbow-colored stream out of his ass until he's completely smothered in a mountain of rainbow sparkle shit. And that's all that's left is the smell of sour ice cream and soggy birthday cake, and sugar, and a little salty bleach on the back end. Never mind that. Uh, it, it took until like the early 90s for me to, to take them seriously again because of this. And well, next year we'll get to another problem. <laughs> um, and when I did, I, they dropped it all to, to put the makeup back on after a brief time of excitement and novelty of having them back. And then they ultimately disappointed me all over again for the same reasons that drove me off to begin with. Fool me twice. Shame on me. <laughs> As Kiss left behind their seventies heyday and entered the 1980s, the group found itself at a sort of crossroads. Original drummer Peter Chris decided to leave the band to pursue a solo career after an American tour for the previous album, Dynasty, saw a decline in attendance and canceled dates. Kiss was rapidly losing popularity, as old-school fans felt that the band had gone too far catering to a new and much younger audience, and the overexposure of the group was wearing on the public at large. America especially was getting sick of Kiss. But the band continued on with the business of making a new album, enlisting the services once again of producer Vinnie Poncia and drummer Anton Figg, both of whom worked on Dynasty. 
The album cover played into Kiss's comic book image with an actual comic strip created by artist Victor Staben that humorously depicted the public trying to catch the band members without their makeup on, ending with the phrase, I still say they stink. It also featured Peter Chris, who was leaving the band and did not play on the album, though this was hidden from fans at the time. When it was released, Unmasked received negative reviews and saw Kiss's popularity declining further in the United States, so much so that the band didn't tour Unmasked in the U.S. They were still big internationally, though, and with new drummer Eric Carr in tow as the new character The Fox, Kiss toured successfully in Europe and especially Australia, where they received a hero's welcome. This is the album where I got off the Kiss train, as I was listening to Top 40 Radio more at the time and I was about to enter my pop purgatory phase, which lasted about three years. I didn't like the soft, wimpy musical direction the band was headed in, and I admit I was probably getting fatigued with Kiss too, as I was discovering new music and leaving my musical superheroes behind. So I never owned Unmasked when it came out. I only listened to it once, and I didn't pick it up until the mid-80s when I got back into Kiss and got it on cassette as I was just completing the catalog. I still didn't care for it then, and for the longest time, this was my least favorite Kiss album. It's not now, but it's still towards the bottom for me. These tunes all sound like rejects from the solo albums, we've been saying this all episode, and as it turns out, they practically are all solo cuts with little input from the members on each other's songs, the sole unifying quality being Ponzi's annoying pop sheen production. Most of these tracks sound tossed off, uninspired, badly underwritten, and performed by musicians who don't give a shit. They're just putting product out, keep the machine going, ignoring the fact that the machine is breaking down and is in badly need of repair. Even both Gene and Paul have dismissed this record as crap in the intervening years. Now, a large section of the Kiss Army has reappraised this album and given it a lot of love, claiming it to be a sort of lost gem pop rock classic. And are there moments on here I kind of like? Sure. But there's not a single track on this record that's good enough for me to put on the prior album Dynasty. It's like Dynasty was constipated, received an enema, and pushed a great big pile of shit out of its bowels. That's Unmasked for me. I give Unmasked a two, and in 1980 it was goodbye kiss for me for a while, although I always still did wonder what the band was going to do next. But that's for another podcast. Now we'd like to thank the fat-bearded vinyl guy, Matt Carwick, for joining us on our ongoing KISS discography journey. Matt, tell the listeners about everything going on in your world. Well, the website is fatbeardedvinylguy.com. It's a pretty, just basically a pretty link tree. Uh, I have links to the Facebook and the YouTube channel. I recently started doing videos again. New content is coming. I try to do a video every week, um, but... You know, life sometimes gets in the way. So, yeah, I usually do stuff on Facebook, and that's, yeah, that's about it. Cool. And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast on all the podcasting platforms wherever you listen to them. If you like what you hear, please subscribe or follow the podcast and leave us a review. If you'd like to contact us directly, we can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com or also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page where there's a link to hear each podcast. We're also on Twitter at R4PodcastAaron and Instagram under R4Podcaster. If you feel the podcast has value and would like to make a contribution to support it, please head over to Patreon and the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews page and sign up on one of the monthly tiers. 
Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. We'd love to hear from you. So for the R4 Podcast, I'm Aaron. And I'm Lou. See ya. Staying alive, staying alive. Ha, 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 ha. Yeah. Can you guys hear him? It's every once in a while. It's not bad. Yeah, way in, just way in the background. Yeah, they're all they're all downstairs now. But you know, once I once I run it through, they're gonna be more prominent in the. Yeah. When I. <laughs> it's gonna take like at least a half hour for Benadryl to kick in uh, <laughs> to uh, <laughs> decide to go that route. Man. I mean, eventually I'm just gonna have to suck it up and deal with it. But all right, I'm gonna give a yell. <laughs> I'll be right back. Shut the fuck up! <laughs> Is somebody vacuuming? Oh, sorry, that's my furnace in the background. Oh, ten feet from me. You have your dogs making an appearance. That's all right. Like the furnace. <laughs> the furnace. Oh, stop, motherfucker! The old man. What an asshole! Baby, that was money. Tell me that wasn't money. That was so demeaning. She smiled, baby. I can't believe what an asshole you are. No, no, baby, she smiled. I, I she was smiling what an asshole. No, 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 no. She was smiling at how money I was.